Hello and welcome to Off the Arrow Shelf Podcasts. I'm Rob, the author of OffTheArrowShelf.com and host for these podcasts. If you're a new listener, then hi, thanks for dropping by. I'm glad that you managed to find us. If you're returning, then many thanks for returning for another episode. Off the Arrow Shelf is aimed at promoting the hobby of field archery in the UK. Good morning all and welcome to episode 15. And yes, I am saying good morning because it's early Saturday morning. It's the first chance I've had to actually make um, this week's, or this follow-up, was episode 15 now, of Off the Arrow Shelf and Arrow Making. You will tell that there's no creaking, and that's because I'm not in my office desk, and that is mainly to save my back, because I've been spending way too many hours set on that uh, office chair, and it is doing my back no good whatsoever. It's been a pretty intense week, uh, all in all, and uh, I'm beginning to feel it a bit. So I'm actually sat down in my kitchen. If you can hear a humming in the background, it's probably one of the fridge freezers or freezers uh, going. Um, So apologies for that. But it's giving my back a rest from that awful office chair. If I'd known that we would have been in that office, or I'm using that desk, for so long, uh, due to COVID-19, I would have probably got a new chair. Speaking of COVID-19, the UK is looking like it's about to go into the second wave of this, which means that um, there's a lot more lockdowns, localised lockdowns. Um, the North East has got some, some friends in Leicester are, uh, entering another lockdown again. So if anybody in those areas is listening to this, uh, I just want to say stay safe and I hope everybody is okay. As I said, this is the second part to the making of arrows and some uh, tips and advice, or rather the kind of breaking down what I do when I make my wooden arrows. Um, I hope you found the last episode interesting and it wasn't too basic for people. Um, This one I'm going to go into a bit more detail about how I actually go about making them and the factors associated. Oops, that's me dropping one of my notepads. Yes, I do have notepads because I am a bit of a geek when it comes to recording what I do when it makes arrows. And actually, I think I'll start with that. Um, The theory of making wooden arrows is pretty straightforward. Sorry, guys, I had to pause then because I just realized I'd put my coffee down over by the kettle and not brought it over to where the computer was. And I need my coffee this morning. Uh, So, yeah, the theory of making wooden arrows is fairly straightforward. Let's face it, we've been doing this for centuries. You obtain some suitable shafts, and nowadays you actually buy them from various archery shops or online. Put a pile on the end or a point on the end, you choose whatever coloured fletchings or fletchings you want, stick them on, or along with a knock, and then that's sorted. Sounds easy, but in reality there's a lot more involved. And uh, I found over the years that it's very easy for people to kind of get lost with what um, you're doing 
So I started pretty early on documenting them and documenting what I was doing, mainly because of the fact that I was breaking. I, I unlike a lot of archers, I started archery. Uh, I started field archery. I didn't start in target archery. Um, really, I, I started in field archery seriously. Um, I played around when I was at college, um, shooting some fiberglass bows and with aluminium arrows, but that was only for about eight, ten weeks. So I, it's field archery I, I got into, and. I started shooting wooden arrows pretty much as soon as um, I could. The club, which was Black Arrow Field Archers up in Derby, uh, ran a session on making wooden arrows, and I thought, "Well, this is quite cool. This is this is quite nice." And uh, I'll give it a go, and that was it, basically. I, I went out and I bought the equipment, the fletching jigs, the tapering tools, um, glues, and didn't really look back. Uh, I found it to be a lot uh, cheaper, and it saved an awful lot of money being able to actually repair or make your own arrows rather than going out and bought, buying shop-bought arrows. And you can buy shop-bought wooden arrows pretty cheaply, but the reason they're cheap is they're not necessarily that good. Um, the better quality wooden arrows um, cost more money and if you want to take this hobby seriously then you start spending serious money same as with aluminium or carbon arrows you, know, you can get some cheap ones but generally the, the better quality ones cost more money so for the amount of money that I would spend on six to eight arrows I could actually buy my fletching jigs and everything and start going so that was the choice and because I wanted to kind of be able to track how I made arrows and what was good suppliers, I started keeping a record of um, where I bought arrows from. And uh, I got taught into my coach and he was saying, well, actually, the, the mass weight of the arrow is important so that if you try and make up a batch of arrows you want to try and keep them all the same mass weight so i went okay so i started keeping them so the first thing i'm going to talk about is actually what i what i do the kind of like the tape the table that i use to record them so if you imagine now you got a sheet of paper in in front of you with a series of columns um at the top of the page i tend to record where i've bought the arrows from so it might be Longbow Emporium, it might be Merlin, it might be a Longbow Shop, something like that. I'll have a record of what they are, whether they're uh, 11 32s or 5 16ths of an inch in diameter. I'll keep a record of what spine um, they were when I bought them. Um, some shops will sell you um, arrow shafts in like five pound increments, others will actually spine arrows at a bit of cost um, extra cost to you um, to your specific requirements so I'm looking at a sheet of paper here I made for a friend of mine Tony on his arrows and his were a spine at uh, 55 60 pounds I bought them in August 2018 I've got a note that I'm using a, a flow lime which is a fluorescent lime 5 16 snock and that may sound strange, I put a 5 16th knock onto 1132 shaft, generally because I find they actually grip onto the string slightly better. And the strings, um, 
it's a fast flight string and it's uh, quite a thin string that's on his bow so I know that the 1132 will give him a a really nice purchase on the string without sorry the 516 will give it a really nice purchase on the string more than 1132 would um, he, he wanted some quite bright uh, arrows uh, for the longer shots so he could see them so I went with a four inch um, orange shield three four inch orange shield fletchings um, the pile weight is an 80 grain rather than 100 grain I know a lot of people start off using 100 grain but I know Tony's bow pretty well it's uh, it's American flat bow it's a black brook um, I've got a couple of them I've shot Tony's bow it's a 48 pound bow I know at an 80 grain pile is going to give him a better cast than a 100 grain pile um, and again that is something that I've learned through experience so that's kind of like the fine-tuning of it um, I've gone with a four inch fletching because if Tony gets a good release which he's more than capable of doing his um, arrows will fly really well with a four inch fletching um, I'm not putting any cresting or anything on the on the arrows um, they are cut to 29 and a half inch draw length because uh, Tony's draw is uh, 28 inches but because of the way that his bow is made um, and because of the, the grip that's on it and the shape of it I'm cutting them so they're slightly long um, it also means that if he should lose the pile on the end if it just snaps off directly behind the pile he can still reuse those arrows without it the, the arrow uh, pile the metal or the arrow pile being drawn back onto his bow and potentially causing scratches so that gives you a bit of an idea as to um, the, the record keeping that I keep just for specking his arrows um, if I was making King my arrows my arrows would probably be 29 maybe 29 and a quarter inch is 29 and a half um, the brace height on his bow I think is six and three quarters I'd have to check that um, the reason I, I mentioned that is and this is going to be my top tip for today if you and I said I'm not doing a cresting but I'm going to give you a top tip okay and it'll save you a load of time so um, lots of people like cresting that's when they put banding on the arrows to make them look pretty one trick that I've learned is I put a cresting mark a cresting band on arrows to correspond with the brace height for the bow so on Sharon's uh, I think it's Sharon's well anyway to give you an idea if your brace height is let's say eight inches what you might do is from when the the, the, the knock end down the shaft I put a, a banding on at eight inches so that when you offer up the arrow onto the bow and you, 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 you load the, the arrow on you can immediately see um, whether the, the bows at the right brace height and uh, Sharon's got um, uh, it's a laminate bow on her bow and she's got a um, a distinct line going down her bow where the, the two laminates meet and so what I've done is I've checked the brace height on her bow and I've measured on the arrows and put a, fitted a black uh, band on just painted it on so that when she drops the arrow onto 
the bow, she can immediately see if that bow's braced correctly without having to get a brace, a rule or a, a square to, to check it. And it's just a really quick tip and it makes life a lot easier. So I'm just going to have a drink of water. So that's my top tip for today. Um, put a, uh, If you're using banding, that's a really good um, way of identifying and using it to help yourself. So anyway, right, so that's the first step. Um, so back to how I record this. So I've, I've got all the details about whose arrows I'm making, where I bought them from, when I bought them. And I said I've got a table in front of me. So in the first column on the um, on the left-hand side, I've got the the arrow. So I'll put either a letter A, B, C, D, or a 1, 2, 3, 4, to however many arrows I'm making. So it's like, let's say, 12 arrows. So I've got and so each row for one arrow. And in the first column across, I've got uh, what the arrow actually weighs and what the shaft weighs. Now I um, buy my shafts so that they are in a set range weight, uh, mass range weight that is, so that I can have that consistency because at the end of the day what you're aiming for with making any arrows is a, a superb level of consistency or is the best level of consistency possible. That's quite hard when it comes to wooden arrows for the simple reason that wooden arrows, because they're wood, because they're not machined, um, because they're not man-made, I should say, it's a lot harder to get that level of consistency. So I pay a little bit more from my supplier to actually get shafts. And looking at the the, the records I've got for Tony's, um, the lighter shaft is 380 grains and the heaviest shaft of the 12 that I made him was starting at 388. So there's an eight grains um, difference between those 12 shafts. And that is really good, but that's why I like using Mark Grady at Longbow Emporium. Um, he's very, very good at supplying me with shafts. Um, on that point, I had somebody say to me, why don't we just use wooden dowels from a shop? You know, you can go down to a hardware shop and buy wooden dowels and just cut them down. Um, wooden dowels are not the same as arrow shafts. They're not spined. They're not machined in the same way. They're not made in the same way. And the best thing I can probably say is that they might break. The worst I can possibly say is they might break and go into you. So getting wood doweling from your local DIY shop, um, don't do it. Spend that extra bit of money and get them from a, a reputable arrow supplier or an archery shop. So you got your first column, which is the arrow um, number, shaft number. The, se uh, the second column then is titled shafts, and that's your shaft weight. So it's like the first arrow shaft that I was working on for Tony's was 382 grains, the second one's 384, then 382 again. Um, so the next thing I do is I the next column will be the weight of the arrow after I've fitted the pile. So I traditionally always fit the pile onto the end of my arrows shafts before I do anything else. Um, I commented previously about having parallel fit and taper fit um, pile weights. That's again personal preference. I've moved to parallel screw-ons. Um, so what I do there is I just crimp the end of the shaft a little and top out actually do a threading tool which you can 
put onto the shaft and it cuts a thread into the actual wood so that you can then screw their, their um, uh, piles on. It works quite well, um, I have to say. So um, I'm, I'm quite like them. I've, I've gone to moving to power rather than taper because I tend to find that the parallels are better on the shafts. They do get less breakages. So I'll fit the the, uh, the pile on. I will use um, I won't use hot melt glue. I'll actually use a two part epoxy. Um, I've fallen out of love with hot melt. Um, I prefer using the epoxy and I'd only put a little on because what I have had in the past and I was talking to somebody about it when they were making their errors and comparing notes they they don't use any glue they just screw the the, the, the points on and I said that's fine but if you're not particularly strong in your hands then there's only a certain amount of pressure you can exert so by adding that little bit of glue on it's um just makes the life a little bit easier so I use this two-part um, epoxy and when you're using that, don't mix up loads. Um, <laughs> I tend to just mix up a little, do a few, and then mix up some more. Uh, don't do what I did one time where I, I made the mistake of it's a two-part epoxy. It's in two separate little tubes, a red tube and a, and a white tube. And I managed to take both tops off the glue at the same time, put the glue onto the mixing palette, started mixing them up, and then proceeded to put the wrong tops onto the to the, each of the tubes um, fortunately i spotted this and and took them off quickly enough because if i hadn't done then there's enough epoxy uh, mix left in the caps so that it would have actually sealed the tubes and i would have had to throw them away and get rid of them um yeah so just just take your time when doing that and don't do the other thing that i did one time is i i, I opened it up opened up one of the tubes put it onto the mixing palette close the tube back up, put it back down again, answered the phone, went back and then couldn't remember which one I'd actually put uh, because they're both clear liquids and I sat there for ages trying to remember, okay, was it the white one or was it the red one? Um, fortunately, I got it right and I identified which one it was, but it was kind of like five minutes of, Rob, you are being really dense here. What did you just do that for? Anyway, Back to what I was saying. So two-part epoxy. Once the pile's on and the glue's dried, I'll weigh the shaft again. So that first shaft, which was on 382, then goes to 461 with the shaft on, with the uh, pile weight on. I'll then measure it and I'll cut it down to the required length. So in this case, 29 and a half inches, and I'll fit the knock on. Now. Be really, really careful when you're fitting knocks onto wooden arrows. This is I I I was taught this, and I did a lot of reading about it. And what you have to do, or have to consider, is that your knock has got a groove in it where the string sits. What you don't want is the line of that uh, knock, that that groove to be the same line as the grain in the wood because you want that to be a night that you want that knock to be at a 90 degree angle to the grain in the wood if it's not then there's the danger of when you're actually putting the arrow under weight uh, hey, when you actually release the string and the the arrow is being forced forward 
you're you're exerting pressure along the same line as the grain and it's more likely to split the grain and open up the grain so what you want is that to be at a 90 degree um, angle to the string so it takes a little bit of getting used to and you have to be very careful when you're doing it but you'll notice it if you get it wrong because the arrow flight won't be as good and uh, it, as I said it just just take your time and look at it I'll probably throw up an image or something up on to off the arrow shelf website about this and I'll remind write up an article in a bit more details and explain it but if you if you look at the shaft you'll see that the grains um, like, uh, running through the actual shaft and you'll be able to identify the, 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 the horizontal pattern and what you want is that the knock to be at 90 degrees to that and by the way I've you know I've been making wooden arrows pretty much from from my started archery and I learned that the more that I try making them the more I learn from making them and then making mistakes is really important it may sound mad but um, I'm still learning you know I've been doing I've only been doing this for what, 10 12 years or so um, and I'm still learning more and more um, I said in the last podcast I really want to have a play around with different woods these arrows I was making for Tony are Port Orford cedar mainly because I like Port Orford um, but I really want to have a play with others. Anyway, so um, going back to what I was saying. So you trim it down, you taper the end, and you fit the knock on. Um, I use a HMG glue. I've always used HMG glue. I found it to work really well. I know some people have used super glue in the past. And uh, I'm not a big fan of that. I tend to find that some super glues are ironically too fragile. The super glue gels are better so that they, it doesn't crystallize in the same way. Um, it doesn't, so some super glues don't cope with a, an impact. So I've, I've used uh, HMG. So once the, the knocks on, I'll weigh the error again. So I've gone from a 382 um, shaft weight to a, a 460 with a pile on and then a 441 with the knock on. And why is it dropped down in so much? It's because that's the point at which I cut the extra. Um, off the shaft so I, my shafts start off at a 32 inch shaft and as I said um, Tony's arrows is a 29 and a half inch so that's why you suddenly lose um, some weight off the end is because I've just cut it down okay once the arrows have the shafts have got the piles and the points on um, I'll start grouping them together so that they'll be weighed and I'll be able to see which ones might be slightly lighter and which ones will be um, slightly heavier so in the records I've got here I've got one that suddenly goes from within that kind of normal range to uh, 435 grains from around about the 448 to 450 which all the others are so that one I've put as an outlier and I've just made a note of it um, because so, uh, what I try and do is make sure that all the, the shafts are the same, but it's an early point at which, and kind of keeping track of all of this, for me is quite, is quite important because I want to see how that arrow behaves. Um, why is it lighter? Is it because the fact the grain or the, or the wood growth is different? So what I do is I take a bit of masking tape, and on the end of the pile, I'll um, put a piece of masking tape on it and I'll mark it as arrow one, two, three, four, and five so I can actually track this information and then I'll highlight it on my list ones that I'm concerned about. 
I told you I was a bit sad about it, a bit geeky about this, but it's it's a, it's my way of doing it. Oh, and thinking about it, something I should have said earlier. Before I start this process, I actually um, check all the arrows, I ch- not just for um, their weight, but also their straightness. So I've um, a friend of mine um, has got contacts in the masonry trade, and what he did is he got me a marble block, of, which is about six to eight inches across and 31 inches in length. And what I can do is I can roll the shafts on that to identify if they are straight, and if they're not straight, um, straighten them. Um, this is done really well if you've got a backlight so that you can actually kind of see under the shaft if there's any rear highs or any lows and then you can um, use uh, I've got a roller I've got an ace I think it's an ace roller AC roller um, that allows you to straighten them uh, maybe I'll, I'll cover that in another time so that's the sh- that's the shaft that's the pile fitted that's the knock fitted um, what I will then do is I'll then fletch the arrows and I'll let that sink in. I'll then fletch the arrows. I don't varnish them. I don't oil them first. I actually fletch. And I can hear people going, oh, well, I dip my arrows. Yeah, I varnish my arrows, and then I fletch them. Yeah, that's that's fine. I prefer to actually fletch the arrows and then varnish them. This is simply because I want the adhesive that I'm using for the fletching to bind onto the wood directly. I don't want it to bind onto a varnish or onto an oil. Again, it's a personal preference. There are lots of people that prefer to go and dip their arrows and then varnish and sorry, varnish them and then fletch them. It's just the way I do things. So I said I do things my way. Sounds like a Tom Jones song, is it? Anyway, no, I'm not going to sing, don't worry. Um, So what I will do is I will then fletch the arrows. So I've got um, three or four fletching jigs, and I will take the time of setting them up on the table and uh, just start going through one by one. Now, there's lots of discussion about what's the best fletching jig and what's about this fletching adhesive i used to use hmg i've used a few others glues as well um, the downside i found with using some of the glues is they can take kind of 12 15 minutes or so to cure and that's a lot of time to be sitting around waiting um, i swapped about five years ago six years ago to using fletching tape and I actually quite like using fletching tape now. It's a lot quicker. It's a lot cleaner. Um, as long as you are fitting the fletching pretty straight, you're not putting any helical, any twist or any offset on it, I actually find that fletching tapes really works very nicely. The only issue I have had with using fletching tape is when I was trying to put a, a helical or a twist in the fletching, and what I found, because I was using quite a large fletch, I think I was using a five inch fletching to have a, is that the tape was not strong enough to keep the curve of that um, helical 
Now that could have been because of the clamp wasn't perfectly set up in fairness, so I, I, I will admit that. But I've, that's the only time I found it, is that if you've if you've got your fletchings parallel to the shaft and they fit on, then there's not a problem. And even if it's just offset by like one degree, it's okay. If you offset it more, then I tend to say use use glue because it'll bond more better. But I can fletch a dozen arrows in 30 minutes. Granted, I've got like four fletching jigs set up and I just literally go click, 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 click. And I can just go through, I'll put one fletching on one, move on to the next jig, put a fletching on the next arrow, put a fletching on the third arrow, put a fletching on the fourth arrow, and then go back to the first one. And by the time I've gone back to the first one, I can put the next fletching on. That's just a routine that I use and I found to work quite well. But anyway, so with these arrows I was making for tone, four inch fletchings, orange. I, I usually start with the cock feather, the indicator feather, which is the one that um, is proud, is normally set up so it's proud of the of the bow when it's when the arrow is loaded, and, and then rotate round. And normally the the cock feather is um, a different colour. Tone said he just wanted orange, so basically all three fletchings are orange. Um, it actually looks really good. I, I I wasn't sure if it would work, but it does look really good. So I'll start with the cock feather. Do one rotate the uh, shaft round to, on, on the fletching jig to the next one and so forth. Um, I think it was Rich on Archery Geek Outdoors was raving about his uh, fletching jig because he can put all three, three fletchings on at the same time. Uh, I've not tried one of them. I could see the, I could see the benefits of doing that because that would be really quick. I fletch the three arrows and guess what I do then? I weigh the shaft again and I just make sure that everything is going on okay. Uh, if you're using fletching tape what I tend to find is if you put like I don't know an eighth of an inch two or three mil extra tape on at the front and the back of the fletching it works quite well for just getting it mounted onto the actual arrow um, again that's that's personal preference I tend to put a dab of glue um, when I used to make them uh, on the very tip of the arrow uh, or sorry the tip of the fletching um, when it's the, the tip that's facing the front um, just because what I tend to find if an arrow goes into the ground or catches a, a bush it, it can lift the front of the fletching going back to what I was saying um, the, the shaft the first shaft ended started off at 382 grains by the time I've put um, the piles the knocks and everything on it's set up at 454 grains the part of the reason I keep a record of this as well is that with some of the arrows like uh, Blackbrook uh, bows, um, they have a minimum arrow weight of I think it's nine grains per inch. It's above, sorry, nine grains per pound of um, pressure. So, um, for example, my bow is forty-five pound bow. So the minimum mass weight I can shoot out of my bow is four hundred. And I should have done the maths before I said that. Nine times forty-five is. 405 grains? Oh no. Mental arithmetic on a Saturday morning when I've only had one cup of coffee is not my strong point. I do apologise. I'm now getting a calculator to work out what 45 times 9 is. It should be something like 405. It is 405. Yeah, it's not that bad. Okay, so as I said, um, some bowyers have a minimum mass weight and that's that's important to bear in mind so um, 
Andy's bows or Blackbrook bows were usually nine grains per inch. So I'm I'm trying to make sure I'm getting arrows because um, Tony's is a slightly heavier draw weight that will work for him. Um, his bow, so he doesn't um, kind of get micro dry fires fire shooting too too light an arrow. So the arrows uh, fletched. I've got a record of all the arrows uh, weights after they're fletched and. Um, that one that I was saying earlier, that that's down at 449 um, grains, even though it's, when it's fully fletched, whilst most of them are around about uh, 455, 457. Um, the next stage is varnishing or oiling. Now, again, this is a debate. Um, some people like using Danish oils and you're just using oils to to. To coat their arrows. Some people don't even bother doing that. Some people use a yacht varnish. Some people use floor varnish. Um, what I tend to do is I put a coat. I, I used to put um, like three coats of Danish oil on, which is like a furniture oil. Um, it used to take ages to dry, but what I do is I put a coat on and get some wire wool. Wire wool it down, make it nice and smooth to another coat on wire wool. And it would take uh, a good day uh, for each coat to dry. I moved away from doing that to using yacht varnish. Now, the, the advantage of using Danish oil is that the, the front of your arrow is the part that usually takes the most damage and is the one that kind of goes in the ground or goes in your targets. And I found that the advantage of using Danish oil is I could put a bit of wire wool on the end, wire wool it back down and put another coat on. Um, I got talking to some friends and he, um, and he was saying, no, try using yacht varnish because it's both waterproof and it's pretty durable. Um, and I tried using that and that was, that was quite good. But I found if I try to use the yacht varnish over any kind of cresting, it kind of changed the colours slightly. So I didn't like doing that. So I use what I do now is I put a coat of oil on the, the shaft um, just to nurture the wood a bit. Because I found sometimes when you get wooden shafts, they, they, they dry out too much. And I like having a little bit of... Um, put a bit of oil on them. So I put one very thin coat of oil over the top. Uh, let that dry for 24 to 48 hours. Why will it so it's nice and smooth? It, it really brings out the grain quite nicely. And then I'll use, um, I think it's a Ron Seal uh, yacht varnish I've got, which is a, a waterproof, um, quite durable varnish on the exposed wood part of the shaft. And then if I've got a cresting on the end, what I do is I put a clear acrylic um, over the top of that so I don't change the colour. And that that clear acrylic I just go down to the hobby shop and buy is the modeling acrylic stuff um, and I'll weigh the arrows during the process so I'll put the coat of oil on and then see what the weight is then I'll put a coat of varnish on see what the weight is and by doing that I can start fine-tuning so that that one that um, was quite light the, the 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 arrow that was quite light. What I just did with that one is I actually put a um, a couple of extra coats of varnish on it, and what that did was it just brought the weight back up. So it was still slightly lighter than the other arrows. It still only was coming in at about four hundred and fifty-five grains, 
but then that's 455 grains and then I've got other arrows that I've made up in that set that are 460 so you're only looking at like a, a five grain difference which is acceptable um, for Tony specifications um, and then that's the arrow finished um, let it dry please 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 make sure that you do let the varnish dry because i have seen people go out with their brand new arrows and they shoot them into a target boss and they weren't entirely dry and then when they go to pull the actual arrow out of the target boss there's bits of foam and everything stuck yeah um Please be careful doing that. Oh, and actually saying that has just reminded me. Um, I think it's is it Tim off the push. Um, I was listening to a podcast about with him on, and he was talking about arrows and arrow making, and 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 how you have some threaded threaded um, weights and and left wing and right wing feathers. And I'll explain what I'm talking about. When you're fletching an arrow, your fletchings come in right wing and left wing as in whether they're off the right wing of the animal or the left wing of the animal. You always want to make sure that you use only right wing on an arrow or left wing. You don't want a right wing on one fletching of the three and then maybe a left wing on another and then a right wing on the third again. So you've got two rights and one left. It won't allow the arrow to fly correctly because of the fact there's a natural curve to the fletch and that curve allows for uh, the, as the air passes over it, it it's what causes the arrow to spin and gives you that um, stability if you've got one wing that's kind of like um, let's say curved to the right and you've got another wing that's curved to the left the arrow is going to wobble in flight and it's not going to fly correctly and um, i think it was is it tim neville on uh, on the push was saying how the fact that ideally what you want to do is you want to match the spin of the arrow to the thread of the the arrow point or the all the if he was talking about broadheads because he's a hunter um, and how the it goes it fits onto the arrow so that what happens is when the arrow impacts the spin of the arrow is tightening the pile onto the point so it's not spinning counterclockwise and undoing that was a really little detail and I'd never thought about it before but yeah that makes an awful lot of sense that makes an awful lot of sense so um, that's another side point I've gone off so by the end of you've done all this you've, you've got your, your shaft, your pile, your knock and everything you've, you've got your dozen arrows made up and you've all got a weight on them the last thing that I do is on every one of the shafts I actually make a note as to what the overall weight of the arrow is and then what I'll do is I'll group those arrows together. So um, if I'm looking down this list now, I've got of um, the ones I've made. And let's say I've got four arrows in, uh, for around about 460, 462 grains. And I've got another set of arrows at around about 466 to 468. I'll keep those separate. Um, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll batch up them so that I'll have a grouping of arrows that are all around the same pile, sorry, same mass weight, and I'll use them. And then 
over time they will get lost they'll get broken whatever i might move to the next group i'm not somebody who deliberately goes out and on a long shot will choose a lighter arrow because i know it will fly that little bit further and likewise i'm not somebody who will pick up a heavier arrow on a closer shot and what i rather do is make sure is know that all of my arrows will perform uniformly in that group that i picked up um some people will do that some people will want to have a lighter arrow for a longer shot the whole concept that i work to is a consistency where all my arrows are the same and i've just looked at the time frame i'm up to 40 minutes on this wow sorry guys i didn't realize i was talking that much i have a drink of coffee mm. so um but that's 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 just me you know that's that's how i make my arrows um i've not even gone into how i how i fine-tune them I've just gone into a, a breakdown of um, how I document and record all this. And as I said, the reason I started recording all this information, being a bit geeky about it, was I was starting out. I didn't know who would be a good supplier of arrow shafts. I didn't know whether or not the... Well, my first bow was, what, £37 recurve. Um a little wooden takedown recurve. Um, I I didn't know whether I was getting the right piles, whether it would work right. Um, so I, I documented it so that I could then go away, look at it, and after I've shot those arrows for a while, go, mm, okay, what happens if I make them a little bit shorter or if I change the pile weight? And uh, what if I change the spine? And all of these things meant that I'd actually gradually over the years, and I've got notebooks going back to when I first started with this information on, um, I was able to go, actually, yeah, this will work. Or I'll somebody will come to me with a bow and say, like, tone and say, need some arrows making, Rob, can you make me some? And I'll go, mm, yeah, I've probably got something that will work. And I'll go away and I'll... I'll and have something but it's really helped me because it means that i can kind of look back and think although what did i make those arrows from because it might be two years before i make another set of arrows um for and it's useful to for, for a specific bow because <coughs> excuse me I, I make arrows for my my bows and each each bows specific so my my two flat bows uh, that I use for competition have got different arrows because they're slightly different specs. Um, they they're the same draw weight and they're the same overall length of 68 inch uh, flat bows and they are 45 pound draw weight, but they perform differently because of the bracing heights, because of the changes. And different specs that are in that individual bow and likewise with my recurves um, they they perform differently because they're different spines and, and, and sorry different draw weights so it's useful to keep a record of this and it's also been really useful to keep a record of where I've got shafts from because over the years I've kind of identified what is good what's bad um, and also it's helped where a coach is concerned because somebody's turned around to me and said, hmm, I've just got this bow, Rob. What do you think will work? And because I've got so many arrows, I've probably in, in the spare room, which is my office, I've probably got 
300 arrows of different spines, lengths, um, just because of experimenting, because I've made them, because Sharon used to shoot competitively wooden arrows, I've shot competitively wooden arrows. Um, and I've just, I just enjoy making them. I enjoy that kind of focus on making them. I work in IT, so being able to work with wood is really nice. Uh, I'm going to stop there. I'll probably now do another um, slot going into more details about tuning and how I go about tuning the arrows um, and what you can do um, when you start talking about the dynamic spine and the static spine of arrows, um, how pile weight affects uh, arrows. Um, give you a bit of an example. We had a club member down, uh, when was it? A few weeks ago now, and he's got himself a, a crossbow and uh, he's wanting to try out and, and work out what crossbow bolts would work for him. Um, and what we did was uh, a friend of mine, Rich, is um, a very good crossbow archer. He's um, he's probably a better teacher and a th uh, instructor. Um, he used to coach uh, American football, and it's very evident that he's had experience in coaching sports. I really wish he'd become an archery coach because I think he'd be phenomenal. He really would be phenomenal. But he brought a load of um, crossbow bolts down, and. Uh, it was really interesting from an observer's point of view to see this because it's something that I, I'm learning about. I'm, I'm going to get myself a crossbow, I think, just so that it's another tool or another um, area where I can learn more about and learn technologies and learn from the coaching perspective. But we were trying out these crossbow bolts and we were trying uh, some 80 grains and some 120 grains uh, points on the end so the shafts were the same the only difference being is the uh, the point weight and we were shooting them at uh, 10 yards and then we went back to shoot them at 30 and then at 40 and it was really interesting from my perspective because I've, I've done this with um, arrows as from a, from a Rico bow and a flat bow. I've never done it from a crossbow point of view. And we saw how the 120s dropped really noticeably as soon as you hit 30 yards. Oh, sorry, past 30 yards, I should say. Um, okay, I know they, they've got a, a sight on the bow, so they were allowing for that. But the um, speed of drop-off of the arrow, so it's the point at which the arrow's energy has been spent and effectively the pile weight is pulling the arrow forward and gravity is affecting it and pulling it down. It's really noticeable when you get past 30 yards how quickly that 120 grain pile pulls it down as opposed to the 80 grain pile which gives a more, I'll say gradual curve, gradual drop off. And it's the same with arrows. Um, 
but with arrows you've also got to factor in the effect it has on the dynamic spine it's got less of an issue with a crossbow bolt because the actual length of it is shorter um, but uh, I'll probably do a little bit about arrow tuning in another podcast because I really don't want this to go over an hour because I've been wittering on for too long now um, I hope that's been of interest to you um, I'll do part three didn't expect it to be part three which will be very focused on tuning and what you can do to tune your arrows if you've got um, a fast bow or if you've got if you feel that your release isn't as good what you can do in making the arrow to be more forgiving um, if you're doing a lot of stump shooting or you know you're a beginner and you're kind of like having problems um, a lot of the arrows are going in the ground I'll give you some tips about how you can make them a little bit more durable um, and I'll mention bare shaft tuning which has never worked for me I've, I've snapped way too many arrows trying to do that it's not something I particularly enjoy doing but uh, anyway as I said we'll go through that if there are any questions please drop me a line I'd be really interested to hear especially if you're making wooden arrows I'd really be interested to see. I'm trying to find out if there's been any research done on comparisons between different woods. Um, I know that there's, there was a comment I pushed up on one of the Facebook groups that somebody has started looking at it. But uh, it'd be interesting to find that out. Thanks very much. I'm sorry I am a bit croaky today. It has been a really intense week at work. Um, I work at a local university and we are beginning to expect the students to come back onto campus uh, from Monday and these last few weeks have been really intense, um, lots of long days and uh, I'm just hoping everything's going to be okay. As I've said before, where COVID-19 is concerned, I hope everybody's well. Um, so please just remember uh, thanks for listening stay safe stay well take care guys thanks for listening to this podcast if you'd like to get in touch with any questions or suggestions for future podcasts then drop me a line my email address is offthearrowshelf at yahoo.co.uk that's offthearrowshelf at yahoo.co.uk or you can check out the website offthearrowshelf.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.